0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
1: Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos, and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. My guest today is marriage and family therapist, Peter Bippus, and we're chatting about survivors of male sexual assault. Having worked with a host of populations from inmates awaiting trial, to families coming to terms with their transitioning children, to survivors of domestic abuse, Peter is not one to shy away from difficult topics. He hosts a monthly online group for male survivors of sexual assault, where he offers a safe space for its members to share, support, and grow. Talking about male sexual assault is difficult, and many questions arise from this topic, such as, what are the challenges faced by a man who is assaulted as an adult? Do abused men become abusers themselves? Can men ever move on? And is forgiveness a part of the process toward recovery? So let's delve deeper into this and talk about the challenges men face who have suffered sexual assault. Welcome, Peter.
0: Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh my god, thank you for coming on and talking about such a topic that's so not talked about, right? I mean, this is a under talked about. Thing. I don't know the words to say.
0: Right, exactly. It's under-researched, under explored. It's definitely a need. It really is. So, an- oh, go. Ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead.
1: I always say, you know, we um we only talk in general about male sexuality when men are hurt or hurt others. So I mean we're doing that today but I'm I'm also hoping we can also talk a little bit about just sexual pleasure how do these men find their way to their own sexual pleasure when it's been contaminated by assault
0: Right It's it's difficult it's not an easy topic and finding sexuality after such an experience can be disheartening It can it can what? be disheartening yeah
1: so let's, let's start with, what are the challenges faced by a man who is assaulted as an adult?
0: So the challenges faced by a man who's assaulted as an adult, they begin to question their sexuality. They begin to feel alone, isolated from uh, their colleagues, their friends, and they become very confused to what just happened. And did I allow this to happen? It's a back and forth that really sends somebody into a tailspin. Would you they say,
1: they can, yeah. Is, is that true if the per, if the uh, person who did the assault is male or female or are there differences?
0: So it is rare that a female there's a female perpetrator with an adult male.
1: Okay, is it? It's rare,
0: rare but it does happen.
1: Is it underreported? Do you think?
0: I I do think it's underreported. Okay. I think in general the entire topic is underreported because of society's expectation
2: mm-hmm.
0: of men. You know, men are not supposed to be the victims here. So right. that will add to underreporting.
1: That makes sense. And it's, and it challenges their masculinity.
0: Absolutely. It sure does.
1: A lot of men will say in my office or men that I've just known in general who have been assaulted. um, They worry that they're going to become abusers themselves. So the question is, do abused men become abusers?
0: Right. So I have uh, a theory around this idea, right? That abused will become an abuser or it's otherwise known as uh, the victim-to-perpetrator phenomenon. Mm. But let me preface first that we know the vast majority of sexually abused people do not go on to become sexual abusers themselves, but a significant amount of sexual abusers had, in fact, been abused. Mm. So let's say there's Johnny. He's uh, an 11-year-old, and he's sexually assaulted by his 40-year-old neighbor. While being sexually assaulted, Johnny essentially has his manhood taken away. Mm-hmm. And after the assault, he may experience this great uh, imbalance. And perhaps it's so charged with uh, disbelief that he employs some sort of cognitive dissonance here and, and might start talking himself into having allowed it to happen. But what he is coping with and attempting to justify is his loss a power. So Johnny seeks out ways to gain that power back to prove that he's in control and, and that he, and that he was in control maybe, right? For the whole time. So to demonstrate his power, he will need something to control. And it's here where the stage for abuse can be set. And that abuse does not necessarily take the form of another person. I think that's the misconception that we have when we consider the abuse becoming an abuser mm. that it take that he, they are abusing another person but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case you can go on and see that substance abuse is very symptomatic in those who were sexually assaulted so abuse could take on many forms survivors should address the ways in which They are trying to establish control. It may not be as obvious as first, but.
1: So I like what you're saying. It clarifies there's a correlation, not a causation.
0: Absolutely. Right.
1: And then how can a man himself be sure that what ails him or what he's struggling with is a direct result of that kind of trauma of the assault?
0: That's the, that's the thing. um, We can't really, there's no definitive answer for that. We're not completely sure what caused whatever malady they're experiencing now, right? So what we can say is any questioning of sexuality, any confusion, um, there could be gender confusion, gender identity confusion also, depending on how young the assault was, the person was during the assault. Um, there's a lot of factors here that, that play mm-hmm. into, into the fact that we can't exactly nail down what type of symptom you're going to be experiencing. You, you'll know based off of, off of your experience.
1: Okay. So it's really like a discerning process. I mean, I've noticed that as a therapist working with these men uh, and myself having been uh, um, uh, abused as a, as a young boy, you know, that not, you don't know right away, like, why is this happening? Why am I behaving this way? Where is this coming from? Until you really unpack it with somebody who's safe and, and able to help you.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: A lot of men ask, and this would be a good question for you to answer, can men ever move on?
0: you know, men can move on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the way that they can move on in, in a surefire way, you know, I'm going to talk about surefire. So education, finding a place to explore, ask questions, give answers, and develop a sense of community. All of these things will help push or bring the person to a point where they can feel less affected by what happened.
1: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And and people need to hear there's hope because a lot of people, women talk about it more openly and it is more discussed. Like you said in the beginning, Um, we didn't say it's more discussed with women, but it's under discussed for sure with men. So women have at least some awareness in other women moving on. Men don't. Right.
0: Men actually, that's that's very true. So there is a question that I pose to my clients. Um, I ask them what what does someone who's physically fit look like, and they'll give off a list of attributes: muscular tan beach body so on and so forth right then i ask them well what does a a mentally fit person look like and it takes them a minute before they'll rattle things off like well-groomed or wearing glasses or something Mm
2: -hmm.
0: well i don't know about you joe but i know several well-groomed people in glasses who are the poster children for instability Mm. the point being that it's very challenging to know If someone is hurting emotionally or is mentally fit just by looking at them and just like it takes work and discipline to achieve the results of a physically fit person, one would assume the same goes for mental fitness. Mm -hmm. The ability to regulate your emotions is a huge part of being mentally sound. Men have become so accustomed to discrediting, minimizing, denying and even relabeling their emotions as weaknesses. So much so that many men spend a great deal of time fighting them off, or even Mm -hmm. worse, concealing or pretending that they aren't there. Emotions are crucial and constant. We are constantly feeling an emotion. And knowing what that emotion is trying to communicate to your body is doubly as important. It's like trying to fly a plane while completely ignoring the cockpit. You might get lucky here and there, but for the most part, you'll crash.
1: You use really good examples that, that can help you know drive the point home, so that people can get it from a different perspective. Uh, my next yeah. question would be: Is forgiveness, in your opinion, a part of the process toward recovery?
0: So there, there are two schools of thought here. One feels that forgiveness of your assaulter is not necessary to process and move on from sexual trauma, while the other says it is necessary. So I argue for the latter. While it shouldn't be something done forcefully, it should be taken into consideration as a means of healing. There are many people who feel as though they can't forgive or that they've tried to forgive but cannot seem to do it. The act of forgiving others is an act of grace. A person arrives at this place by acknowledging the gravity of the other person's behavior, but no longer through the lens of shame or blame or personal responsibility, but rather with a great deal of respect to the magnitude of which the assault has affected them. Wow, this really hurt me. This, to me, evoked a feeling of pain that's very loud, so loud that my body continues to hear echoes of pain, even years after the event. Mm. many male survivors know their assaulters and they're expected to carry on with the relationship. Also the survivor may take a sense of ownership or blame feeling as though they need to forgive themselves first, but forgiveness is for the other person. We give forgiveness and at times it's difficult to separate the assault from the assaulter, but we forgive the behavior this can alleviate a great deal off the shoulders of of the victim.
1: I'm so glad you said it this way too, because I think the buzz in the culture is forgiveness is required. And I don't agree with that. I think that um, acceptance and, you know, not, you know, um, staying in a victim stance uh, is, is required, but I don't think it has to come through the lens of forgiveness, which is what I think you're saying.
0: Yes. So, I, I would like to stress that in most situations, when we forgive somebody of something, we are doing us, we're doing ourselves the biggest amount of favor, right? We're doing ourselves the the amount of justice that is needed to move on. Because if we look at it like this, the survivor, what they're struggling with is the memory, Right. Unless it's happening, currently happening to them, the memory of the assault is what's affecting them and their struggle with the memory. If we want to reach a place where we can think about the memory and not be as affected, I think forgiveness needs to play a part in in that narrative.
1: All right. And then, so then that leads to the next, like, how then do you help a man take back um, his sense of power? And and like, how do you, if he comes in and he's working with you, like how do you work with a man in this situation?
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, to educate really, and again, offer a place, a safe place to explore and ask questions and develop a sense of community. Again, develop a sense of community. I found that, camaraderie works well because it begins to feel like a team effort this is important for men because it's here where they don't have to feel so alone or isolated survivors feel isolated and are left to spin the memories over and over which tends to make matters worse Mm.
1: so yeah go ahead go ahead so then, when how do they find community? Like, do you do you, uh, you run groups? Is that right? Yes, correct. So,
0: we used to run an actual in person group, of course, pre COVID, mm-hmm. um, at our office, the Shape Center in in Beverly Hills. Now, we've decided to take that group and put it online. So, anybody in the world really can access this group. It's offered on Sundays. At two, th- the first Sunday of of the month at two thirty PM and runs for an hour. And the first part of the group is ten minute presentation. It's either by a special guest or by myself, um, and it usually focuses on a topic. And after the presentation, we'll process that topic.
1: Hmm. And you say two thirty Pacific time? Is that right? Uh, two thirty Pacific time, correct. And have you ever um, presented at or, or met people that have gone through org? Because I used to be a part of that uh, for a while, and then I, I became too busy, but I love that organization. I wondered if you've ever interacted with
0: them. Uh, org is fantastic, and there there are a few of them too. Um, Onein6.org is also one that's very credible and offers uh, online or uh, text, chat, Um Group every week. I believe it. I believe it's twice a week, um, where people can come in and they can chat uh, via text. Now, there's one um, resource I find very, very helpful, and that's called um, OurWave.org. Here, uh, the person gets the opportunity to write out their story and. Post it now. Of course, it's not for everybody because it all depends on on your s- sensitivity to becoming re-traumatized, Certainly, but um, it can be very rewarding and very healing for the for the survivor to tell their story mm-hmm. in this way. So, I, I very much recommend ourwave.org for that.
1: These are great resources. Um, I don't know. You, you probably did watch this. I, I did, too. I don't remember the year now, but it was, I think, maybe Oprah's last season, and she did, I think, a two-part uh, uh, episode on male survivors uh, of assault, and uh, in the very beginning, you, you can YouTube this. It's very moving. I started crying watching it. Every It's all male audience, and they're all are standing, and they're holding a picture of themselves as a little boy. Did you ever see that? Wow.
0: No, I have not. Oh. Wow. Oh it my sounds, God. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, it, was, yeah it's, it, it sounds incredible.
1: And and because and you know she really didn't do a lot of shows like that. I know her show was mostly uh, watched by a lot of women, but you know, just a lot of women are married to the these men. So how do you? Um, what would you? So think? true. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, that I was just saying that's so true. So true.
1: And how does that manifest in a relationship? If a man has been uh, assaulted, and how does it impact their relationship?
0: so in a relationship and there's if there's no transparency about the abuse you're going to see manifestations look like uh touch aversion for example touch aversions big hmm. with this population because of course the touch is the one of the biggest factors that's driving their memory Mm. of the event. So you'll see a lot of that. You'll see a lot of questioning. You'll see a definitely in the bedroom in during sexual, uh, experiences with the partner, they will not be present. A lot of times there's disassociation that happens. But the more that a partner is aware of what happened, the better they can help with the situation. Um, we can't know what we don't know, right? Can't keep people in the dark about something that is so, has such an impact on our relationship. So, Coming out, a lot of times people or men, they fear the the social repercussions, right, of, of coming out. They don't want uh, their their partner to believe, oh, no, that I was assaulted. That means I must be uh, gay or homosexual. But we know that that doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. So
1: I always say sexual abuse will disorient you. It will not orient you.
0: It won't orient you. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, the first time I came across your work, Joe, I was writing a literature review in graduate school and I aligned with a statement of yours that said, not all molestation ends in trauma. Yes. And it it just doesn't. So that can be, that is a factor also that can definitely influence the relationship.
1: This is so helpful. You're really a good educator and the way you speak about it is, is very concise. And I I can only imagine very helpful to the men that you work with. What else, as we are getting close to the end of our, our podcast, I'd like to know what else would you want people to take away from your, what you're talking about here with male assault survivors? So if anything, take away
0: the fact that you're not alone You don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to be silent about this. There are, if you don't feel comfortable with maybe the group of people that you're with, that you have at your disposal, you can come online and reach out to organizations, or you can come to me, peterbtherapy.com, and we can take it from there. You're not alone. And we're ready when you are.
1: i glad you keep um, emphasizing not to be alone. You know, m- men are taught not to be in community. Today I had a, a mixed-sex couple, heterosexual, and I said to the guy, he had reached out for support from a woman and his wife was upset with him, and um, I said, well, why didn't you reach out to one of your buddies? He said, are you crazy? I don't mm-hmm. talk to my buddies about things like this. <laughs> I'm like, but, and it's such a heterosexual male thing to say. Right. Uh,
0: <laughs> exactly. And really it is. And, but you know, who's doing that is that society's doing this is society's priming of how we're expected to behave and and to act. And, you know, uh, a bro does not go to another bro and tell him that he was sexually assaulted. That just doesn't happen. But that person can still heal if they utilize the resources that are available to them and they can find that online for sure.
1: And I'm glad that they can find you. And I'm glad that we did this uh, podcast with you. I really, I want to thank you, Peter, for being a guest on the show today. Thank
0: you so much, Joe. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Also,
1: also I want to say one more thing. I When I went to your website, I forgot this. You have a bracelet on your right hand that I have. I've never seen anybody else have the you're, exact same bracelet that I'm wearing. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I love it.
0: I, this was meant to happen.
1: It was meant <laughs> to happen. <laughs> thank you so That's much. great. And and to people listening to the show, I hope you enjoyed it today. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And also follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Dr. Joe Court, D-R-J-O-E-K-O-R-T. I'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. Awesome, Peter. That was awesome.
0: Thank you. Joe, thank you. Really, truly. Thank you so much. I'm so glad. It was an honor. It was an honor.
1: I'm so glad you came upon that, that um, in your research as a graduate student because I feel so strongly about therapist labeling everything as trauma when it's not.
0: When it's not trauma, exactly, exactly. And yeah, people get confused by that, like, oh, should I? And then they confuse, they're not even sure if they've been assaulted. Yes. That can happen that way too, where yes. I, I've actually had a client just yesterday I'll reach out to me. He was uh, assaulted by his therapist. Believe oh. it or not. Oh God. Yeah, yeah. So that it was very unfortunate to to hear, but we will be helping him. He's joining the group. So
1: good. And I'm glad you, that. you the group, and we'll put it on my page, and um, we'll just get you more out there. I'm glad that you're a resource. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Joe. Thank
1: you. Right. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye thanks for listening to this episode of smart sex smart love i'm dr joe court and you can find me on joecourt.com that's j-o-e-k-o-r-t.com see you next time